Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, Meredith Oak, and we'd also love to hear from you. Visit www.quantumbiologycollective.org and click QBC newsletter to join the conversation. Amber Hargroder is a modern day Renaissance woman. Her background includes comedy, epic poems, ghostwriting for government organizations, and now herbalism, beekeeping, and quantum biology. Amber is also the author of a novel, Gambler's Choice, which centers around the history of the blood industry and corruption in medicine. In this conversation, Amber explores some key principles of quantum biology through the metaphor of the honeybees and their intricate mystical connection to their environment. There's a lot to learn from the bees, from how their communities are structured to how they raise their babies. The bee experience is a beautiful metaphor to also understand why our own connection to nature is so crucial to our human health and well-being. Hello, Amber. Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. I am super excited to talk to you today about the quantum biology of bees. Um, it's a very unique topic. I told my husband what what I was doing today, and he's like, "Oh, Meredith, <laughs> your life is so weird." I'm like, I know, I love it, <laughs> and he loves it too. So, tell us a little bit, sort of, about your background, who you are, and how you came to be such a friend of the bees. Well, first and foremost, I'm a writer, and I've written novels. I've been a ghostwriter for like 15 years, probably. Oh, wow writing books for various companies, whether it was tech to now it's government, like it's, it's, a, it's been a range. <clears throat> but about 10 years ago, I decided I had heard that no woman had ever written an epic poem. And I was like, well, challenge accepted. So <laughs> I became obsessed with writing an epic and I wanted it to be about nature and plants. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, 10 years is a long time, but it just this one poem um, has led me to study herbalism and um, shamanism. And it eventually led me to studying bees. And I did a 10 month apprenticeship in it's technically bee mysticism or bee shamanism, but mm -hmm. it is eccentric beekeeping as well with Ariella Daly, who is one of the best teachers I've ever had, like across wow. all the crazy experiences I've had, whether, I mean, I studied politics and business in Copenhagen. I did comedy in Chicago for a number of years, like all these different experiences. I would say that Ariella is one of the best teachers I've ever had. She's definitely in the top three. And wow just a, a wealth of information and, and knowledge. And, um, she's actually, her apprenticeship is starting up again. So if anyone's interested, you can go to honeybeewild.com. It's a 10 month program and you learn everything about bee centric beekeeping, which is going back to how the ancients kept bees. Um, that has a lot more reverence to it. Mm -hmm. uh, opposed to conventional beekeeping today. And you also get to learn a lot of the myth and mysticism associated with bees throughout the past three to 4,000 years. So you get a really deep sense of who the bees are. Cause I mean, bees have been around far longer than humans have been around. Um, and we've really, they're only semi domesticated in a sense, because we, we now have bees that we're using in industrial agriculture, but there are still a number of wild bees out there. And I would say that the, the bulk of my experiences have been with wild bees as opposed to domesticated bees. Okay. And 
right now where I'm living, which is a whole other story that we don't have to get into. <laughs> where I'm living right now, I can't keep bees because I'm in like a suburb. And if I started keeping bees, there's a lot of fear associated with bees. Yeah. Some people do have allergic reactions to the sting mm-hmm. uh, and people get very territorial about their space. But if you just walk around your neighborhood, you'll see bees. They're, they're around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, uh, <clears throat> right now I'm working on getting some land that has never had pesticides on it, that has minimal EMF exposure. And I'm planning to make a bee sanctuary out there for the honeybee and also other native pollinators. Right. Um, and I can't forget about them because the honey isn't native to North America at all. So that's right. You mentioned that. It's so interesting. We have totally different bees that don't produce honey that are native to North America, but the honeybee Apis mellifera that we know and love today is actually from like the Mediterranean region and Africa. And um, there's a lot of European folk traditions specifically coming out of like Lithuania and the UK uh, as bees have kind of made this migratory pattern all the way over here. And the way that honeybees came to the United States was actually through the Catholic church, because for a time, the only candles they could burn were made of beeswax. Now, I've since been to a Catholic church and I know that was paraffin wax. That was not yes. <laughs> that was gone from bees. Departed from that particular yeah. role, clearly, yes. We let that slide. But um, yeah, so beeswax is a much cleaner burn anyway than yeah. paraffin But Yeah, it's beautiful. It's funny. I would, my mother, for when I, up until third grade, I went to a, a Waldorf school and in the Waldorf schools, you don't play with Play-Doh or plasticine, you play with beeswax. Oh, and you warm right. it up in your hands and you use it to shape things and all the candles are beeswax. And every time I smell it, I'm like transported to this just set like safe childhood space where everything was nature oriented. Well, and the smell of beeswax is very, spe- it's the smell of the hive and bees, uh-huh. they orient themselves a lot by their sense of smell. Uh, and it's a very calming, I think for a lot of people just smelling a beeswax candle burning or manipulating beeswax is very calming to their central nervous system or, you know, the entire nervous system really, because it, it brings about that vibration of the hive within the smell. Like there's a signature, Uh, but, um, to get back to to bees. (laughs) Okay. Um, so I studied with Ariella for a little shy of a year and, COVID happened and I had written a novel about plagues and pandemics. And incidentally, by the time this thing hit market, I think we were all pretty plagued out. <laughs> I was like, you know, and I had tried to do a bunch of wacky things with the structure and um, it, it, it followed the Zodiac wheel. And it was just an exploration of how we all respond to uncertainty and change. Uh, Love it. Yeah. So that happened right when COVID was going down. And during the COVID pandemic, my partner at the time, I'd been with him for about three years. He died after taking the COVID vaccine. So oh, Amber, I'm so sorry. I mean, that was like a whole thing. And it's it's a very controversial topic because nobody wants to talk yeah. about the negatives and the side effects of these things. Um, but after studying uh, the AIDS epidemic specifically, and not so much like the popular stories about the AIDS epidemic, but the tainted blood era in which half of the world's hemophilia population died from a tainted clotting factor that was sold as this miracle drug. And you're going to be able to travel and you're going to have all this freedom. And instead parents were injecting their children with hepatitis C and AIDS. And that is just such a, you know, gut wrenching 
history that just kind of gets yeah. swept under the rug because yeah. there's so few hemophiliacs, especially now. But it just um that that really resonated with me, that story. And so I wanted to make sure that it was told in a way that I thought that the hemophiliacs were the canaries in the cold mine for the AIDS epidemic. And now I'm mm-hmm. convinced they were the canaries in the cold mine for the COVID pandemic. So what happened with the hemophiliacs clearly happened with the COVID vaccines to a degree. Right. I mean, there wasn't like, you know, take the shot or lose your job, but it, um, you couldn't necessarily have a job if you were a hemophiliac without the clotting factor because of the treatment of uh, treatments available at the time were not really, um, conducive to that. Mm-hmm. But so after my partner died, I went all in in I, I I moved away from shamanic or intuitive herbalism and went all in on clinical because mm-hmm. he he survived like 26 days after his second shot. And so I tried everything with plant medicine and I was just like, what is going on? And I I specifically remember, and this is before getting into grounding or anything like that, this urge to bring him outside. Like I wanted him on the earth. I just had this like feeling that we need to go outside. And he kept saying, oh, we'll do that tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. And then the last day that he told me that he wanted the day before he never left the apartment again, he was like, we're going to go outside tomorrow. We're going to go, we're going to go to this park. And I'm like, okay. And then everything just went downhill from there. But I think that's one of my big regrets is that he never got to touch the earth ever again. Um, and then he, he wanted to be cremated. So he definitely never did, but it just, that situation brought me deeper into studying bees. It brought me deeper into studying quantum biology, um, structured water specifically. I wanted to know more because I've had family members die of cancer, um, in the past. And so I I wanted to know more about how does this work? How does this water work? And I came across Jared Pollack's books and I started digging through that and, um, it, it's just kind of become a pattern of synchronicity in my life where structured water keeps coming up and the geometrical shapes of water. Mm-hmm. So that really was the reason why I wanted to get certified in this and also bring it into my herbal practice Yeah, and talk more about how, um, the, the force, not the forces of nature, but nature itself, when you're in relationship with it, you do have more healing modalities available to you. And I think one of the things that we've kind of gotten away from is that we're no longer in relation to nature. We have a very, like we've pushed nature to the side and basically said, you know, either I'm going to control you, I'm going to save you, or you're going to save me. And if you have, you know, a partner or someone that you love, that's not really the language that you use. Yes, (laughs) it's true. It's very controlling or very codependent, but that's so true. We've projected those same dynamics onto nature. We've done it it onto ourselves as well to a degree, and we've definitely done it to the bees. And so when I looked further into structured water and also mitochondrial health, I started noticing a pattern between those things and how the cell produces its own water and even the geometrical shapes of that water when it is structured and coherent and similarities between those and the bees um, and how bees function and their sense of unity and uh, connection within the hive because the hive itself isn't the hive itself is the organism like there's no individuality really between the bees they each do different things based on who they are within the hive but they look Mm -hmm. at themselves as a single unit they don't look at themselves as an individual like you or i would do 
Right. Very much everything is for the betterment of the hive. Um, and, so the hive is like the living organism almost, and then the bees are little parts of it. The, the the argument I was making is to consider each hive a cell and each bee a mitochondria. And then the honey mm-hmm. is structured water that the mitochondria produce. I love this. I love this metaphor. Okay. So Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of clicked in my head and I was just like, I can't tell people this. This is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> On this podcast, you can. Yeah. But. Okay. There- so I just want to clarify that a little bit more. So in when we're talking about quantum biology in terms of humans, mm-hmm. there's, we are the humans, we are filled with mitochondria, which we now know are very important and structured water. And then when we're talking about bees, clarify that metaphor just a little further. So, okay. If each hive is a cell, then you have 30 to 50,000 bees within that hive. And let's just say okay. that they are mitochondria. They are also, and, and bees have their own mitochondria. But <laughs> let's just yes. you know, take it as a metaphor. Yeah, it's a metaphor. Um, they are actively engaging with the environment in a way mm-hmm. that's very similar to how our bodies are engaging with it. Right. And so they are affected by electromagnetic radiation. They're affected by sunlight, especially sunlight. I mean, when, when we talk about quantum biology, a lot of it has to do with light. And when we talk about bees, if we go all the way to the back to the ancient world, they are the messengers of light. In ancient Egypt, they were the tears of Ra, the sun god. Um, in you know Crete, in ancient Greece, they're always associated. Well, they're associated with the sun, but also the hive is a very womb-like, dark space, and so they're associated with light and dark. And I think, you know, we don't really see what's going on in our cellular processes, uh, not a, not with the naked eye anyway. Uh, and so there is this element of mystery to it, like what's really going on. And bees have an element of that mystery, but they come out between sunrise and sunset, which are the best times for infrared light is the morning light that we talk mm-hmm. about in, in quantum biology. And if you go out at sunrise, you'll see bees already out there foraging. And they are getting information from the entire landscape that they bring back to the hive. And the hive itself becomes a compendium of knowledge. We don't typically eat honey one cell at a time like the bees would, but the bees organize their comb based on the seasons, what plants were in bloom, and they only go to plants at their peak ripeness for nectar. So they are they know exactly what minerals are in the landscape they know what's going on with sunlight and weather they know what plants are going to spread over the landscape and they're they're actively helping in this reproductive process but our cells are also containing a compendium of knowledge about our sleep cycle about what light we've been engaged with during the day about what foods we've eaten how many electrons we have and all of that information goes into making our structured water and our structured water has a specific signature to it and it also helps your body detox the things that you don't want in there um the bees kind of have their own management system for that as well. But because of conventional beekeeping and in some ways our own modern life, we've been taken away from this intuitive natural process into systems and structures that aren't necessarily beneficial for the bees and they're, they're not beneficial for us. So I'm not sure if that's the question. That absolutely answers the question. And I think 
because I'm going to like, we're going to move into talking more about bees now, but I think this metaphor that you have set up is so beautiful because everything that you are going to tell us about the bees can be related back to us as humans. And so I love this idea, like from a quantum biologic perspective, yes, like our cells are communicating all the time with everything in our environment, all the frequencies that we can't even see or hear, um, as well as the ones that we can, and the bees are doing the same thing. So I love this. And I'm reminded uh, of a personal experience. We um, lived in a house in France for a while, and there was a wall covered in um, grapevines. And every day uh, towards the end of the afternoon, the sun would hit that wall. And while the sun hit that wall, it would be covered. You could hear them. It would be covered in bees. And we'd be like, oh, it's bee time. And you could just, every single grape, every single leaf was just covered. And then the sun would go below the horizon and they disappear. I don't know where they went, but every day, like clockwork, they came out and covered that wall. Well, and that goes into the hum of the bee, which is their song. And Jacqueline Freeman wrote a beautiful book. I mean, honestly, if you read one book on bees, I would recommend The Song of Increase. Um, it's it's almost like a meditation. And it's, it's beautifully written. And her relationship with her bees is just... It's magical. I mean, it's, it's a, and the, the book itself, it must have cost a fortune to print. It's got like this gold, shiny bee on the cover. I'm like, how did you... Oh, wow. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I would highly recommend that book, but, uh, yeah, the hum is the song of the hive and beekeepers can actually put their ear up to a hive without opening it and know the state of health of the bees based on this hum. Mm -hmm. And we talk about, you know, vibration and frequency and, and all these invisible forces where it's just kind of a, a sensory experience. The bees teach us how to listen to that. And, you know, quantum biology principles and structured water aside, I think one of the things that the bees teach us is what love means. And um, Soren Kierkegaard, and I'm paraphrasing terribly, but something along the lines of, you know, the quality of love by its fruits. And bees, the, the queen bee, who's really the mother of the hive, it's not, it's not a like a monarch, uh, okay. not dictating anything. She's just yeah. birth repeatedly to everybody. Um, wow. So the, the rest of the bees, they work on the principle of love. Like when we say that they're pollinating a flower, you can also look at it as they are making love to the flower and they are yeah. in this static state of just being happy to be in the light and be with the flower and be in that present moment and like bask in the smell of pollen and nectar. And um, it's very much a loving energy that the bees emit. And, and you know, the love that they've put into it because of the fruits of the honey and the pollen and the propolis that they make. Um, bees that are healthy and happy and vibrant make a much higher quality product. I mean, I don't want to make it commercial, but they, they produce things. Yeah imbibed with that love and that frequency and vibration of, of a higher energy. Whereas bees that are kind of in sort of like a little bee slavery, um, mm -hmm. that's not the same frequency they're emitting because they're never going to reach peak beeness uh, yeah. in this corporate scientific system. Oh. Yes. the. Oh, sorry about that. No problem. All right. So you we are never going to reach peak Venus in the corporate system. There's <laughs> a, a lot in there, Amber. <laughs> well, okay. So yeah. let's explore a little bit more the bees when they are 
um, in their happy place when they are living the way nature intended without human interference or in an environment that's been minimally interfered with by, by human stuff. So there's the, the queen who is the, like the great mother giving yeah. birth over and over. And then there's the hive. Um, well, what about the other bees? So you have the queen bee, and this is actually like something that annoys me so much. It's like, you always see these icons of bees and they've got crowns on them. And I'm just like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but the queen bee is the only bee that has a reproductive force. Um, the rest of them, unless a queen dies, and this is something very interesting about bees, is that they can turn back the clock and regenerate to do different things as needed. Like time does not exist to them in the way that it exists to us. Um, it, it's it's very fascinating how they can, they are a self-regenerating force. But the the mother bee basically gives birth to everybody in the hive. And she does have maiden bees who attend to her and make sure that she's fed and nourished. But it's not because, you know, this is the crown or something like it's, it's right. not kind of system. It's it's this is what's best for the family. It is. It's a family within the hive. OK, it'd be more like taking care of, of a mother who's just given birth. Right. You would come to her bedside and make sure she's taken care of. It's just that that's all she ever does. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you're familiar with like postpartum depression or um, I think it's called the first 40 days. There are these wonderful books about fertility and how to restore your body after giving birth and like nourishment. Uh, These maiden bees who are attending to the queen are constantly making sure that she is fully nourished and able to continue with her processes without losing her mind. So sounds about right. Okay. Now, um, from there you have the maiden bees who you might know as the worker bees, which is the very like industrial language that we've applied to them, but they're the maidens. What's really fascinating about the maiden bees is that they are gestating for the exact amount of time that it takes for the sun to do a full rotation around its axis. So in terms of energetics, they are experiencing the energetics of the sun one full rotation, and then they're born. And then the maiden bees do a number of tasks throughout their lives. So they'll start out in the nursery, taking care of the baby bees, which are called pips. So they're making sure that they're fed. They're making sure that everybody's tended to. They remove the dead from the hive. Um, Like if (laughs) I remember going out to someone's farm in the winter and there were just dead bees all over the ground. I was like, what happened? And it's like, no, this is normal. I was like, okay. It wasn't a bee massacre. Like the Battle of Waterloo. Like bee apoptosis. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the maiden bees will will take them out. And then eventually at the very end of their lives, they will go out to forage. So the bees that you see making love to the flower are actually Mm -hmm. the elder female maidens who have gone on to collect nectar and bring it back to the hive. Okay. So... Those bees, if you see one who's like died outside by herself, like she has served her purpose to the hive. And I've heard stories of beekeepers who they'll see like a forager bee who you can tell that she's like on her last legs and they Mm -hmm. try to stay. And she's like, no, it's my time to go. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, no, I'm, I'm done. done. <laughs> so, you know, don't get upset if you see that happen. But what's really fascinating about the way that bees live their lives from the larval stage or the pip stage to a forager bee 
is that they are constantly being fed information through light. So even though the hive itself is dark, the forager bees are bringing in nectar that they turn into honey. Mm -hmm. They're bringing in pollen. So when they go to make love to the flower and they bring in the nectar into their bodies, they have two stomachs. They have a honey crop, which is like a little nectar pocket in their gut. Well, it's not really their gut, but in their bodies. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) They'll store their nectar in there. And then they have a second stomach that has enzymes in it. When the forager bee, the maiden is getting that nectar, she also has to, flowers have evolved to where she's got to roll around all up in there. (laughs) And so she's got this static electricity going on with her body where all these little hairs are collecting pollen. And what's really fascinating about bees is they're very um, loyal to one flower at a time. So they will only Mm -hmm. work with a specific type of flower. So you might be in the garden and you see, okay, right now, my bees are all over the bone set and the peppermint. Well, those bees are two totally different sets of bees. They're not cross-referencing. They're only- oh. So they form like a monogamous relationship with a certain yeah. type of flower. Okay. But only when that flower is at its peak ripeness. So right. there's a lot of conversation about how do they know that. There's a magnetism component where the flower is mm-hmm. actually calling them in. They Their sense of smell is so acute that they know from just flying in the air where these flowers are. But the pollen that they bring back to the hive, the maidens who are still working in the nursery will mix that pollen with enzymes from their own stomach. And that kind of is like a, <laughs> this is a terrible, I was listening to a podcast where someone was talking about regenerating the soil and call, calling like the bacteria from the soil, like a fecal transplant. <laughs> <laughs> not quite what we're talking about here but they are providing <laughs> this this historical yeah. lineage of enzymes by mixing okay. pollen with enzymes from the gut and then they ferment it and then they feed that to the babies well the pips then know what flavors to look for right what flowers They're are getting all the information from their local environment exactly programming them of what to do when they get bigger yeah i mean if we want to take it in a dark <sighs> And it's kind of, you know, like brave new world, like <laughs> recording, like it's, it's good stuff. Yes. Information about where's food, what should it taste like when it's at mm-hmm. its brightness? What are you looking for? So even from their infancy, they are being, they're learning the art of being a bee and what minerals taste right and what, you know, the landscape is going to be. And there, there's a map. Bees know where things are in their chosen landscape. It's another reason why bees don't like to be moved. They they typically in the wild will form their hive within a, a hollowed out tree, which gives them insulation mm-hmm. a lot more than some modern hives today that are like glass. They're like, look at the bees. I'm like, no, don't do that. Right. <laughs> they need the insulation. Um, that's so far removed from a tree trunk. But the the I'm losing my train of thought here. But basically, they are learning the map of the landscape from the very time that they are put into a cell. And everything about the bees is in a hexagonal shape or a hexagon. Their their eyes see in hexagons. They make comb in a hexagon. The honey is stored in there. And the comb is a secretion from their own bodies. And this is made from the maidens themselves. Like the younger maidens will eat honey and then they'll secrete this wax. And the wax secretion process itself is beneficial for them. So when we talk about like sauna or sweat, yeah. like it's good to have secretions. Yes. Which <laughs> is a strange sentence. Total sense. But, when you don't allow them to do that, it kind of clogged up a little bit and they're not able to be as healthy as they can be. And 
a lot of conventional beekeeping nowadays is either on a plastic comb, so they're not letting bees make their own comb, or it's a pre-mold of wax that's shaped into a comb that's been heavily treated with chemicals and the baby bees are being incubated in that chemical environment. So they're mm. never going to be the most, <laughs> they're never going to become the greatest bee they can be in yes. that environment. <laughs> right. Because they're yeah. not getting the proper information. And again, right. with, I, again, with the relating it back to humans, like putting tiny newborns in a plastic incubator is not necessarily giving them the signals that right and and even the light the light signals so everything that's brought into the darkness of the hive has a light signature what time of day was it forage Mm -hmm. where was the sun the bees actually have three little sensors on the top of their heads that help them navigate where the sun is in the sky at any given point so they are in complete relationship with the sun at all times. And they are bringing that. And if light is information, that is the information they are also bringing back into the hive to teach their young. Now to round this out with what's going on in the hive, they also have male bees, which are drones. Mm -hmm. And Jacqueline Freeman talks about how these are more of the shamans of the hive. And so, so they're like these sacred beings. And I kind of look at them in the sense of like a Taurus energy. They're the sensory organ of the hive. They're very much concerned with the smell, the sense, like everything, like the taste of things. They, they, they're they like the, yeah, the senses of the entire organism. Um, and when the bee, baby bees are incubating, they are humming to them. And what Jacqueline Freeman expresses is that they're telling them the song of what it means to be a bee. So they're being fed the information from the landscape, and then they're getting information from the hum of these male shamans. Now, when you go to conventional beekeeping, they're like, well, the male bees are useless. They're just eating our honey. Our honey is our profit. So screw them. We're going to kill them. So they'll specifically make comb because each bee is incubated for a different period of time in a different shape of comb. So like a queen bee is kind of in like this long pouch, like she's in like Almost like if a bat was rolled up. It's that kind of looking. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So she's hanging out like a bat in, in the comb. And they'll lay several queen eggs at a time because they want to hedge their beds a little bit. And then once the queens hatch, it's like they all go out to breed and they swarm. This is another thing that conventional beekeeping doesn't like. The bees will split off. And this is their reproductive function. They get into this ecstatic state. The queen will fly out to breed for her like, well, okay, I'm going in two different directions here. For the queen bee to breed, mm-hmm. she leaves the hive for her nuptial flight and drones from other hives will come and mate with her. And that gives genetic diversity. Ah. So they need drones with different genetics to, yeah. bring her, to bring back to their home. So, and then okay. when the queen comes back from breeding, then whoever's like first and most powerful has to like kill all the other queens. So that's a little gory. <laughs> <laughs> so that happens. And then she Circle starts- of life. Okay. Yeah. Now, what's really fascinating about this process is that when she makes a worker bee, a female bee, she's using the genetic code of those drones that she bred with. When she mm-hmm. makes a male bee, they are basically a male clone of her own genetic material. So when we talk about how mitochondria is passed down from the mother's line, uh-huh. in, in a sense, it's the queen bee's genetics that are transferred down. And 
she's giving her genetics, her pure genetics to that drone. So the next queen bee from a different hive that goes out for her nuptial flight, her drones will go breed with that female and her lineage will continue. So it's, it's a very wow interesting process here. Um, and, and then the, the worker bees, of course, have a more mixed genetic lineage, but the drones are her, her male counterpart. Not so okay. much in terms of like she's breeding with them, but they are her male essence. And when you go ahead and you kill all of them because you want the honey for yourself or for profit, you're causing enormous psychological stress within the hive. And that in okay. turn causes dysfunction. We've, they, we are ejecting all of the shamans from their society. Yeah. So you're, you're killing- Because we don't understand oh. their importance. Right. So <laughs> the parallels are just- the, the spiritual aspect of their existence is then called and yeah. it becomes just having bees purely for profit. And you lack that genetic diversity. They're artificially breeding um, queen bees. Now, if you buy a package of bees, like if you're a new time beekeeper and you don't catch a wild swarm. So swarming, I mean, I can go back to that. I know we're kind of bouncing around a little right. <laughs> It's totally my fault. No, but, it's all it's all good. That this podcasts are conversations. They they don't yeah. have to be totally linear. But I do want to just like touch on this for a minute because when the idea of the drone, because most of us hear that word and we just think of like somebody doing like a totally monotonous job, mm. um, and yet what you're saying is from your experience and your research that the drones are should actually be looked at more as shamans who are serving a very essential spiritual role in the context of the bee society. Yes. Okay. And then we as humans who have perhaps in our own lives lost sight of the importance of that are now injecting it out of the bee culture as well without realizing the harm that it's doing because it's going to weaken the overall you cut off their their connection to spirituality and they and their connection to that lineage that comes through the drone the whole hive is weakened right and so what's happening in conventional beekeeping is because of all of these changes that they've made for honey production mm -hmm. and i've i've seen different numbers uh in like 2006 it was like a quarter of all conventional beehives died it was like the colony collapse disorder. That's when right. probably first that. heard about this happening. Yeah. <clears throat> they were like, all the bees are dying. We have no idea why. And now that number is anywhere to 40 to 60% of all beehives die within a year. And, and is this is this wild ones or? These are conventional bees. Convent like just wild bees wild bees is kind of like you pick up a stray dog that's got like all this genetic diversity and like yeah. nothing bad ever happens to it it's never sick wild bees are kind of like that so, okay <laughs> um, they have they're able to behave in a way that is natural to them they mm -hmm. don't have any human interference whatsoever so they're a lot they have a more fortitude for dealing with whatever happens so right now if you if you look at what's happening in beekeeping, especially in Australia, it's varroa mite infestation. And varroa mite is kind of insidious in the fact that it gets into the cell with the larva, so with the pips. And so the pip is basically becoming a bee with this parasite that's mm -hmm. feeding off of it. 
And so the hive is significantly weakened. And a lot of the times, if the varroa mite infestation gets too bad, the entire hive will collapse and die. So that's one aspect of why we have this colony collapse disorder is we have a parasite problem. But in the wild, if they have a varroa mite issue, they call the, their own weakness. Like if they know there's mites, they'll either like, sh- you know, close the doors to the hive, so to speak. And they're like, we're going to handle this in-house. You know? <laughs> um, but they don't, they don't get decimated by mites the way that conventional beekeeping or bees do conventionally kept bees do. Um, they have a much stronger immune system and that also goes to their gut bacteria. So if you're a conventionally kept hive, the pollen that you're getting is not going to have the diversity that would normally it would normally have. And so even being mixed with these enzymes, and again, they don't have the genetic diversity, so they don't have a diversity of gut bacteria either. So you've got weakened information on both sides that's being fed to the baby bees. And something that really resonated with me is that if a baby bee is not fed the appropriate food and given the appropriate information from the very beginning, they can be a functioning bee, but they'll never reach that peak selfhood, you know, like they'll never be everything they can be. And, you know, we talked earlier about how I've got young nieces and nephews all under the age of three. Well, now I kind of look at like the powdered donuts they're eating and the processed food that, you know, it's just so easy and that's what they want. It's just like, here you go. And I'm like, they're never going to be peak Olivia or peak Jackson, you know, (laughs) we're we're robbing them of the information. Um, And especially with food, when we we come to like the the microplastics and pesticides in our foods, like all Mm -hmm. of them are also affecting nature. Yeah. just bringing plastic into the hive has had a negative effect. So, I mean, if they're also eating, it's going to destroy their gut bacteria. And then we have killing off all the males. So they have no spirituality, as you put it. They don't have the proper nutrition. When we look at bees that are in the almond industry, it's absolutely horrific. I mean, if you had to eat almonds for every meal for an extended period of time, you probably wouldn't die. But at one point you might want to. I mean, <laughs> it's, it sounds it's awful. pretty terrible. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're moving people haul their bees across country to go work on the almond fields. And a lot of them die. And they're like, I don't know why they died. It's like, well, where do we start? I see. So the bees are put in an environment where the only thing to eat is almond. Right. Plants. Pollinate the almond almond fields or whatever. Oh, and see, yeah. bees instinctively know the wild bees. If I'm sick, I know this plant's in bloom. That's right. medicinal. Like bees are kind of, in a sense, the original herbalist. They know, oh, nettles will be around or marshmallow or whatever. We have this problem. I'm going to go forage that plant. I'm going to bring it back and then we can heal ourselves. And that's something that isn't stressed enough is this regenerative force of bees. And I was talking with a beekeeper the other day and we were talking about how everything is just so downward spiral thinking they're like oh we're all gonna die everything's awful nothing's gonna get better there's no hope and it just um when we look at bees they can regenerate if you leave them alone they they will go back to their intuitive nature and trust themselves to heal themselves and that's something i think that humans have lost is we no longer have this intuitive Mm -hmm. sense that we can heal ourselves And this starts from the time you're an infant and then you go through an industrial school program that was meant to have like conveyor belt thinking for you to work on a conveyor belt. Like the multiple choice exam by the man who invented it was called the test for lower ordered thinking. (laughs) So 
we're not, we're not inspiring people to be intuitive and follow their instincts. We're telling them you need to do X, Y, Z, because I said so. And if you're sick, don't trust that you can heal yourself. You have mm-hmm. to trust this expert who's been bought off by this other company that's been bought <laughs> off for a study that was paid for by a corporate company. And it's like vicious cycle. And we're doing the exact same thing to the bees. I mean, now beekeepers are looking at, well, how can I vaccinate my bees? I'm like, whoa, jeez. Oh, <laughs> how do you do that? No. <laughs> and then why would you do that when the bees, if you just gave them the proper environment and the proper, you know, landscape to heal themselves and didn't put them on plastic, didn't give them chemicals, uh, you know, they would regenerate. Yes. As, as, yeah, as living organisms can, if given the proper environment and the proper signals, we really do have that capacity if we haven't totally, totally wrecked it. This is so amazing. Okay. So there's two, two more avenues I want to go down. Um, the next one is the ecstasy and then, um, and then we'll move into sort of, you know, what, what we can do on just a day-to-day level to support the bees. But I love this, um, this idea of ecstasy that you talk about where the bees are really, uh, it's part of, their life force part of being healthy is that they are intermittently in this state of like pure joy and what that does for them and what a swarm actually is. Tell us a bit about that. So yeah, I've I've alluded to swarms a few times. I've kind of gotten tripped up a little bit with my storytelling abilities. (laughs) This is why I'm out in order. No, you're no, this is fantastic. Honestly, you're super clear communicator. So once a hive has a certain amount of food for its honey supplies mm-hmm. are good and everything's self-sufficient, the queen might decide that it's time for her to go start a hive somewhere else. And so she will lay eggs for queen bees and they'll go through their little casino royale thing. Not, is it casino royale? Battle royale. There we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the queen and about half of the hive will enter this ecstatic state where they leave the hive and they go look for a new home. And you'll see this in the spring. People are like, I have a swarm. What do I do? And there's beekeepers running around with boxes. They're like, I'll take them, you know? (laughs) Um, So they are in the most loving energy possible. And because they have their queen with them, they do kind of stir chaos in the air because they don't want you to find their queen. So it's this like camouflaged in plain sight. And you can also see like when they're hanging from a tree, they're they're just like buzzing with happiness. They're just like in this elevated, higher consciousness, um, yeah, ecstatic state. It's very joyful. They're like, we're all together. We're going to go start something new. You know how everybody is at the beginning yeah. of the project? Yes. <laughs> like, what, what did I this do? This is going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of, you know, like a first time novelist when they start writing. Yeah. They're in that state. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so they look for a home and they have these scout bees that will go out and they'll find a place and they'll come back. And that's when they do like the little bee dance where every, like most people, when they study bees know that bees have some sort of dance going on where they do this little figure eight jig and like, however long the dance is shows how far away this place is. 
But the scout bee, who's a female bee, comes back and she's like, I found this awesome home. Like it's got, you know, all the things you could want. It's got structured water. It's got, <laughs> got, it's got you know, a metal roof. It's away from 5G towers. It's <laughs> so she tells the bee in this little dance and then other scout bees are like, well, I have to go see this for myself. So the other scout bees will go out They'll check it out. They'll be like, oh yeah, this is the place. It's got ethernet. It's great. So they come back and they do the little dance. And it, this dance, and this goes back to like the ancient cultures as well. These, um, the priestesses of bees were called Melissa and they would do these dances. And a lot of the, um, the symbolism also deals with serpents, interestingly enough. I mean, I'm not exactly sure, even after studying this for this long, like what the connection necessarily is. I mean, there is like the Oracle of Delphi mm -hmm. or Delphi was originally a python, was a snake in ancient Greek culture, the Pythia um, or the yeah. pythons. So there is that connection, but you don't necessarily see bees like riding snakes down the landscape. Yeah. <laughs> so no. But I think it's like the energy of the earth. Like the earth mm -hmm. has this uh undulating energy is the way it's usually described and it has yeah. like this pulse that's working through it that i think that the snakes are associated with because the bees are associated mm -hmm. with the air yeah. and when they swarm they're very much in the air and then they find their home and that's almost like the snake energy of like find being more in connection with the earth right now bees don't actually want to touch the ground even if you have hives they don't want to be on the ground they want to be elevated because they normally like in the wild mm -hmm. would their home way up in a tree they're like right. we don't want bears getting us we yeah who's getting us i mean you may have seen the documentary or heard of the honey hunters these people who are insane to me they like scale these massive cliffs to go get this hallucinogenic honey and i'm like that must be some amazing honey like yeah <laughs> or anything they're just getting stung and they're just like yep i'm here <laughs> okay uh. good luck to you sir <laughs> 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 but uh yeah so in swarming it's very much this very positive energy the priestesses would do this dance of ecstasy and it's it's sort of based off of what the swarms do because when these bees all come back from scouting out their home mm -hmm. they follow this dance and so the bee who's dancing the bees around her will start mirroring that dance until the entire swarm is dancing and they're like, we wow. found them. Oh, all right. Yay. And so, and they only do this in good weather. It's very rare that they do this when it's raining because they want to be oriented to the sun. So they go and they move into their new home and everything's good. And then they start building everything from scratch. So the young maidens who aren't the forager bees quite yet, they're still like teenagers they're, which is actually, that's funny. Uh, the teenagers are doing all these secretions <laughs> <laughs> and they make all the are just not stopping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So they build all of their comb and, um, then they start going out foraging and, and restockpiling all of their honey from this new landscape around their new home. And they teach their babies. This is where we live now. Everything's good. And go from there. But one thing we haven't touched on yet is the comb itself because it's a mm. communication medium. And ah. it's very much like our connective tissue in our body in the sense that information is being transmitted throughout the comb, same as it's being transmitted throughout your holistic self. So when it's made with comb, 
the bees know at all times what's happening within their hive because of the vibrations within the comb itself. They don't have like a telephone system or anything. They know based off of what's going on on this comb, what's being transmitted through this wax. And so they know at all times where the queen is, what she's doing. Is she good? Is she fed? Okay, cool. Like everybody knows what's going on. Where are the male bees? Okay, they're over here. Like, is are there robber bees coming in to take our honey? Like attack, like they all know based off of this comb and in conventional beekeeping and especially with companies that have come out now like flow hive it's a plastic comb and it doesn't have the same resonance so they can't communicate so of course they're getting their wires crossed because they have no idea what's going on they're in cubicles yeah exactly and then in the case of flow hive which infuriates me and i'm not saying that people who have bought a flow hive are like bad people i think they just don't know but They're like, oh, well, you can have honey on tap. You don't even have to disturb the bees. It's perfect. You can leave them alone and you just get the honey and all is good. And I'm like, actually, no, you've completely disrupted their entire life cycle. Um, So the honey you get is going to have the energetic of confusion. (laughs) Like it's going to have of what's going on. You're ingesting the, I don't know what's going on energy. Whereas if you ingest honey from bees that are happy, you're taking in the energy of like joy and ecstatic state. And we're so happy to be here and be doing what we do. Uh, And the flow hive, they're like, it's a plastic double hinge. So you like turn a knob and then it like shifts the comb. So the honey just comes right out. And I'm like, could you imagine if all of a sudden someone could like turn a dial and like your leg opened? Like, <laughs> like that's crazy to me. You're like, no, 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 it's better for the bees. I'm like, in what way is this better for the bees? I think it's better for you. Yes. <laughs> it's better for the bees. But uh, yeah, so we've covered swarming. <laughs> okay. But that's so, and, and then the hive. So the hive is almost like the fascia and the bees are the mitochondria and the honey is the, the structured water. I love and this metaphor. It's very fun. So Rudolf Steiner, his name has been popping up in my orbit for over a year now. And yesterday I finally got a copy of his lecture on bees and, or his nine lectures on bees. And he was going through and he made this amazing quote in lecture three that in human beings exists this very same sub- substance that the quartz crystal is made of, but it takes a more fluid form. And that yeah. that's from 1920s. Steiner said that. Steiner said that. Wow. He's <laughs> he was his teachings were what the Waldorf school was based on with the beeswax, oh, by okay. the way. Those he's are like, they're also called Steiner schools. He's like a drone bee unto himself. He's like our little shop. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. But that's exact that's that's struck that's easy water. Yeah. And he talks He's about describing it perfectly. A hex- hex- I can't pronounce anything. I'm Cajun. Um, hexagonal <laughs> acting force or a six sided effect. It's an activating force that's strengthening that gives you hexagonal formative forces. And when we look at structured water, and this was one of the things that made this click structured water within the cell is a hexagon, it takes on that shape. And so he talks about something, uh, a honey cure for children that had anemia or were malnourished, where they would lightly heat up honey and mix it with, excuse me, no, ha, huh? lightly heat up milk and mix it with a little bit of honey. And for anyone who's thinking of ingesting honey, please never boil it because it yeah. d- completely destroys its structure and you're going to end up not getting the effect that you want. But this honey cure, it was from a Swiss newspaper in 1923. 
And basically these children who were severely malnourished were given this slightly warmed milk mixed with honey and their anemia disappeared. Like their red blood cells were, had a, a more force to them and they were, they recovered. And he was talking wow. about for younger people, you need the milk for older people. It's more the honey. Um, and so for my, my own practice as an herbalist, I mean, I'll make electuaries for people with raw mm -hmm. honey, um, where it's, it's like one, if you want to make an electuary, it's a honey paste. So it's one cup raw honey mm -hmm. to like six teaspoons of an herbal powder. So you could make one with like turmeric, like if you want to get more turmeric and you could do like right. just turmeric powder with like some ginger cardamom, you know, all your, you can do a pumpkin spice. <laughs> 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 and then uh you just add that to toast or eat it by itself on a spoonful and it's like if someone has um issues with structured water could honey potentially be a solution for that to give the body that frequency to to know to make hexagons um to know to become the liquid crystal and i i, I have no evidence for this whatsoever but <laughs> i love it I think it's an interesting assumption to work off of and maybe experiment with because, mm -hmm. you know, listening to Carrie Bennett speak about structured water. And I love how she's such a water nerd. Like I just, I, I feel like when I found Carrie, I found like my soul sister. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, also loves water as much as I, I can see why you feel that. <laughs> I love Carrie. And she's got so much energy and she's so full of information. And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> let's dive this in. But, um, yeah. So if we talk about energetics, which in Western herbalism, a lot of this is about the energetics of plants. Um, and Steiner talks a lot about this in biodynamic agriculture and regenerative agriculture. You want to take the energy or the signature of a certain plant to imbibe it into a person. So like, uh, it's probably the wrong word, but to, to help the body capture that signature and heal itself. Yeah. It's not so much, the problem I have with clinical herbalists a lot is they're very much like Western, I think it's allopathic doctors is the right yeah. word. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you have this sickness, take this plant as a cure. And it's like, right. no, that's not how plants work. <laughs> uh, there's there's an herbalist, I think he's from Italy, who said plants work by magic. They don't work any other way. And I, was like, <laughs> I love it. Perfect. But it's like, I think honey does too. All the byproducts yeah. of the hive, they're giving you the energy of the hive. And apparently it's this hexagonal force. So I want to see like, if you have structured water issues, maybe you're yeah. hydrated or you have a dry tissue state, which is what we call in uh, Western herbalism, or you have dampness, you have too much bulk water, mm -hmm. edema, puffiness, inflammation. If you have a lot of heat, you might have too much activity going on. You need to kind of tame it with the cooling nature of like a honey. Those mm -hmm. might be interesting things to explore for herbalists. Like we herbalists, and I'm not saying this across the board about everybody because everybody has a different niche, mm -hmm. but we shouldn't just look at the mediums in which we make medicine or make plant medicine as just a means to an end. It is medicine within itself. Like if you make a tincture with brandy, it is an antispasmodic all on its own. Brandy is a medicine, even though it's not a necessarily a plant medicine, you know, Yeah. <laughs> in the way that we think right. of it. Um, but you can make infused honeys. You can make electuaries, which is the honey paste. Mm -hmm. You can um, make mead, which is, <laughs> is always... <laughs> There's another one. Oh, oxymels, which is a mix of honey and apple cider vinegar. It's like 50-50. 
And those actually make, if you work with like sweet herbs and get the right blend of flavors, you can make really delicious mocktails with an Oxymel because you get a little bit of that uh, vinegar astringency Mm -hmm. and you mix it with like mineral water. Oh my God. It's amazing. So that sounds delicious. And you don't, you're not hung over the next day and regret it. (laughs) Yeah. And you've, you've fed your structured water instead of depleting it. Exactly. But I think he wants to talk about supporting the bees. <laughs> when can you yes. do Yes. Okay. So he, those are all like amazing ways to use honey. So yeah. So how can we support the bees? And if, we, if we're if we buying honey, how do we know, what do we look for on the container to know that it was comes from a source that understands the bees? I mean, that's a really tricky situation to be in because- yeah. It can be raw honey and the bees are not treated humanely. So right. this could still be caught up in this. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with making money off of selling your honey. Like yeah. I'm not out here as an activist against all beekeepers who are trying to make a living. Like I, yeah. I support you. <laughs> yes. I want honey too, you know, yeah. and pollen and propolis. I want all of it. I want candles. Um, so I just think that if you if you're looking for honey, there's a couple of things to look for. I I tend to go to farmers markets, and back when I lived in Chicago, there was this amazing Russian couple who raised bees in a very bee centric way. This was the first time I'd ever really heard of raising bees this way, and they were just full of complaints. About <laughs> and this is like seven years ago, um, but you'll see that honey has many different colors. Typically, the darker the honey, the more mineral content that it has. Okay. It doesn't mean that if it's light honey, it's not beneficial. It's just based off of when it was foraged. So it okay. just happens that plants that are foraged in like the fall winter period, if if you live in like, I live in South Louisiana, winter is really, I think they could probably still forage here because it doesn't get that cold most of the time. But you're going to have a darker honey from those plants than you will from the beginning of spring. Like when chickweed and cleavers are coming out, you're going to have a very light, almost like sunny colored honey and it'll get more amber as it progresses throughout the season Mm. so that's just one thing to keep in mind they do have honey available that is um predominantly from one plant i think it's crete is known for its thyme honey um there's there's different cultures that they their bees have specific relationships with specific plants so you can you can do i would love to do like a a taste party of like a honey, yeah. thing, a honey flight. Yeah. Uh, be a lot of fun, but Ariella actually, uh, in a recent podcast or something that she did, she was talking about some of the best honey she ever got was forage on the rooftops of gardens in Paris. And I was like, that sounds delightful. That's how, <laughs> wow. I need to find that Parisian honey. Yes. <laughs> but, but, uh, in terms of like, how do you know if these bees were well-treated? I mean, try to find beekeepers mm-hmm. and who are very passionate about the health and well-being of yeah. the bees. But, you know, even you you do want to eat honey if you're using it for medicinal purposes because you have a lot of allergies or something, which allergies yeah. I'm learning from Carrie uh, could be connected to histamine intolerance from dehydration. So yeah. I'm just like, again, with this structured water. Yes, again. And that could be another way that the honey is helping. Yeah. So, I mean, right. you, are, you are getting nectar and you can't eat pollen from your area. And I would recommend that you go with it from your area more than, you know, 
shipping it in from somewhere. But I think shipping it in from somewhere, you can support local farmers and get something mm-hmm. unique. And that yeah. that could be fun. But South Louisiana, we are the land of green. Like we're surrounded by water. The soil is yeah. built up of sediment from the Mississippi. And there's a lot of plants that are native here that I would love to know like what that honey tastes like. So mm-hmm. like prairie honey, but I mean, our prairie has been decimated by different ind- industries over time. So we're bringing it back, but I would love for beekeepers in Louisiana to be like, this is specifically Ville Platte prairie honey. I'd be like, right. oh. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So the way we are with, with wines, right? Yeah, it's like it this, the wine. region is so much informs what that wine is going to taste like. And you can't, you can't mimic it in another part of the world. You're absolutely getting a terroir within your honey, but it's it's kind of the opposite. It's so funny because wine, in order to make wine, the grapes have to struggle and be miserable. Yeah. You have to make them <laughs> And then we drink wine and for the most part, we're happy. So <laughs> happening. But with bees, I don't think that the better medicine is coming from them being miserable. I think if they're yeah. happy, you're gonna ingest that happiness and energy. I mean, if we go to the crystallization of uh, water with Masaru Emoto's work, mm-hmm. like really sad, angry water has a really yeah. ugly shape. Whereas beautiful, happy prayer, you know, prayed over water has this gorgeous crystal that you're like, oh my God, like it, it you yes. feel, you feel yes. emanating off of these crystals. And if you have good honey, it will crystallize. So I know yeah. people who are like, oh my God, my honey went bad. I'm like, there's honey that they found in ancient Egyptian tombs from like 3000 years ago. That was technically edible. I think you're good. Wow. <laughs> you, yes. You need to worry about it crystallizing. That means that's you have part of the process. You have good honey. But even that inclination to crystallize kind mm-hmm. of parallels with what Steiner's talking about, about an inclination of our bodies to form crystals. And the overall theme of this is that what happens in nature also happens in our bodies and vice versa. Like there's a mirroring effect going on. Um, And I think that with the bees, if we can kind of channel that energy that they have when they're in an ecstatic state or when they're joyfully humming along with their work, like I think we'll be happier and maybe our mitochondria will be healthier too. Because your mental state and your mindset really do affect your health. And you almost have to choose to be in that state. And and because there's so many forces, it's so easy. You know, anyone who's dealing with a negative mindset, I would highly recommend Benjamin Zander's book, The Art of Possibility. Mm-hmm. And he's um, I don't know if he's still there, but he's the conductor for the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And he talks about this downward spiral thinking, like everything's screwed. We're all done. Mm-hmm. There's no hope. Yes. Like, what if just you- like cynicism all the way down? Yeah. Well, one of his best examples is uh, he talks about these two shoe salesmen that were sent to like some third world country or something. And the first salesman writes back to the company and he's like, there's no hope. These people don't wear shoes. And then the other guy writes back. He's a glorious opportunity. They don't have any shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, we don't have any shoes right now. Everything seems kind of dark, but this is a glorious opportunity because we are self-generating and we can regenerate, rebuild. Like we can do it ourselves. We don't need the beekeeper to build our comb for us. Let's go build our own comb. Um, Yes. I think everyone's trying to have this like savior mentality, like, oh, if I vote for this person, he's going to save me. If I do this, mm-hmm. I'm going to save me. And that's a very heroic tradition. Yeah. And, and I need to get everyone else to do the thing I think should be done. Otherwise, I can't yeah. get saved. 
So Susan Weed, who's a herbalist who, um, she wrote, well, she's written a bunch of books, but anyway, her point is that there's three traditions of healing. There's a scientific tradition, which is like, oh, you're sick. Take this odorless, tasteless pill. It's going to fix you. Yeah. Um, you can't trust yourself. You got to touch, test, excuse me, trust the test results. Like it's very yeah. much like I know more than you because I have science. So take this, shut up, go away. <laughs> and then there's the heroic tradition, which is I am the guru. I know more than you. I am going to connect you with these very exotic, expensive plants and I will heal you. And it's going to entail a ton of suffering, but you either want to get healthy or you don't. So deal with it. And if you're too weak, you'll never be healthy and happy. (laughs) The wise woman tradition is let's just go play in the garden. Like, look, this weed right here that's growing, that'll help you. Like, you know, like sing a song do a dance eat a plant bees in the garden i guarantee that's going to do so much more for your well-being to just sit there in the morning light watching the bees and maybe even humming with them or like singing Mm. them which sounds kind of woo which i'm totally stealing from carrie because it's amazing yeah (laughs) but it's not if it's the vibration and the frequency and that humming tradition goes back through all of the um, meditation lineages and and chanting and all of it uh, and there's, there's a reason for it. Yeah. I mean, Carrie was saying that humming actually benefits, is it the vagus nerve? How do you say that? The vagus nerve. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It has a calming <laughs> effect. Exactly. And there's a tradition or the uh, maybe a, maybe it's a myth. I don't know. I'll have to test it out when I get my bees, but beekeepers tend to live a lot longer than most people. There, there's uh, like a story about that. Yeah. Beekeepers are constantly around this vibration and this hum. Yeah. And it's like, is it tuning their cellular vibrations to that hum? Uh, that's another interesting thing that I can't necessarily measure or prove. But it's it's just like if you're yeah. around that vibration, does it by itself give you health, longevity, and contentment with life, or just happiness? Yeah, the elusive thing we're all chasing. No one wants. Well, to- I mean, on the from a quantum perspective, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it's, it's vibration and frequency and we're, we're structuring our water around it. Yeah. So that totally makes sense. One, I mean, we talk about, well, I don't know if we talk about, but the, <laughs> the, the power of music and song in mm-hmm. general, like yes. supposedly, I forget who said this, but it was something along the lines of to understand music is to understand the universe. Mm. And then uh, Tesla said, you know, to understand the world, you need to understand frequency and vibration, three, six, nine, like that kind of thing. Um, it's like the bees might already know this <laughs> innately and we're just taking away their song. We're taking away their music and then we're ingesting the, the food they make as medicine or as just, you know, on pancakes or something. And we're ingesting this like broken orchestra. Like it's, it's a sad song yes. that we're again. And I think it, was it Steiner? It might've been someone else in the, um, a friend of mine who's a, uh, she raises water Buffalo incidentally, but she sent me as one does. Yeah. Uh, water Buffalo are like the most majestic, serene creatures. They're like cartoonish in appearance almost, yeah. but beautiful. And they're massive. It's like, you visit these wow. buffalo and like imagine Jurassic park. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, someone was saying that the best pesticide for your plants in a regenerative way is to take the pests and like put them in water and let them rot for a while and then spray your plants with it. And the example they gave was that this village was near a cemetery and the water they were 
taking in Mm -hmm. was flowing through the cemetery. So they were basically drinking the energy of death and it was making them all gray and sick and, you know, giving them the energy of, of death. And it's like, I think we need to take into account when you're first starting your healing journey, you might be like, oh, I need to add honey to my tea because this is what I've heard is going to be good for me. Well, what's the energy of that? Are you taking in like this sorrow and pain and suffering of bees? Or are you taking in the ecstatic energy? Because that could affect your own energetics in a way that we don't fully understand yet, but you experience it. And that's why quantum biology has meant so much to me is that I have experiential knowledge of this being beneficial. It has benefited. It has benefited people I've recommended it to. Um, And it's so simple and free, which most people don't trust that. They're like, no, 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 it can't be good unless it's $650. Gotta be complicated and expensive. And (laughs) Exactly. Like it has to be over my head. And I'm just like, well, in some ways it could be over your head. And we didn't even talk about things like the electron transport chain. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, when we start getting into the nitty gritty of this quantum physics, quantum biology sphere, it can get very complex, but Mm -hmm. really need to be, you don't really need to understand all of the principles to see the benefits of it. Yeah. But But that's hard. The the practical application of it is, is very simple, but yeah, to deep dive deep into the science. I mean, it's over my head when you get, when you start going down that road, I'm like, okay. (laughs) Photons and stuff. I'm like, wait, (laughs) hold on. I need to look at them. Yes. I mean, and then the last thing is, is basically if you want to help bees, just plant mm-hmm. native plants that, and the best thing about planting native plants is they want to be there. So yes. you don't have to baby them. You don't have to worry about them. They'll just do their thing. And I think that's more the direction, you know, trust, trust your own instincts, trust yourself, trust that nature has got it. Like just give it the tools yeah. that it succeed and it will do that. And the same thing is with your health. It's, it's taking away things that are preventing you from being healthy while giving you kind of setting you up for success with small lifestyle changes that may seem inconsequential, but they do add up. And and, and that's why it's, it's more important to be consistent than to do like, you know, I'm going to do all my grounding for the week on Sunday. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's not going to yeah. work. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all. And that's also like the quantum beauty of it is like small little changes can make a huge, big difference. Um, You know, a few minutes outside is each day over time makes a major impact. And you don't have to raise bees or even have a garden to support bees. I mean, it's really come down to because of the way that everything is sort of collapsing around us. In this beautiful rebirth way, I'm gonna say yes. Like, everything's gonna be destroyed for it to be reborn. So that's I'm just regenerating. Gonna, yeah, we're at that turn. We're about to turn. It's gonna be fine. But uh, <laughs> you really you vote with your dollar now. So mm-hmm. if you consistently buy honey that's raw and has been harvested from bees that were kept in a bee centric way then the people who are giving their bees, taking all their honey and feeding their bees sugar water or high fructose corn syrup, those businesses will either have to change or they'll go away. So it it really, I'm not into, I think instead of looking at everything at a macro scale, look at just the little things that you can do, those little changes. Like if you find a local beekeeper in your area at the farmer's market, maybe you only buy honey from them. 
and talk to them about what's happening with their bees because the bees are influenced by so much more than just the things that we've talked about today. I mean, they are affected by electricity, EMFs. Arthur Furstenberg and the Invisible Rainbow talks mm-hmm. about this a lot in his book, yeah. which must read for everybody. Yeah. A, friend, a friend of mine who used to be um, a death investigator for the police department, he said that I'm making the world a scary place because <laughs> <laughs> I have informed him about water and power lines and PMFs, and I'm the scary one now, apparently. Forget <laughs> the murderers. Yeah, plot twist. The bee lady is terrifying. <laughs> like before he met me, he was drinking Bassani, and now he's like, I can't even drink it anymore. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, so I think it's just these these little changes in awareness. Yes, about your environment and the choices that you make on a daily basis, and and what kind of energy do you want to take in? We talk about eating food in your own light, um, and how that helps your mitochondria kind of orient to what season it is, what's going on, and and the seasons are extremely important. And we don't even have time to go into that, but just in terms of like your lifestyle. Like yeah. how you live your life. You're not constantly in a summer energy of go, 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 go. Like you need to rest. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's another thing. In the winter, the bees need to rest as well. They need to go into their little dark womb-like space, mm. eat their honey that they worked mm. all year, all summer for. And they need to regenerate for the spring. So when the spring flowers come out, they're ready to go back to work. So mm. There's a lot of that incubation period that we've kind of taken out of the human experience as well, where it's yeah. like, you're not allowed to rest. You're not allowed to recover after you've given birth. Yeah, You're not allowed to, you know, complain that you have to eat whatever you can grab during a 25 minute lunch break, you know? Yeah. It's just, uh, yes. Yeah. It, what are we measuring in terms of success? That's, yeah. that's the question is, are we measuring the energetics of things? and their overall implications or are we just measuring this final product and the dollar dollar sign at the end money is important to live in the modern world but i don't think we have to kill everything around us and ourselves just to to reach that end yes absolutely and yeah that idea of hibernating or resting after a period of work and we were talking about this on a coaching call recently right it's like when you work in in the knowledge economy or in the corporate world, like it, it just never ends. There's not that moment of like, oh, I've harvested the crops or I finished making this chair and where you sit back and say, oh, and you take a pause and reflect back on what you've made and rest. We just mm-hmm. keep on, keep on and on, keep on keeping on. And yeah. another lesson from the bees is that how important that is. Farming is very difficult work. And there's a reason why there were entire religions based around agricultural processes. And I think that those, when we talk about how humans have evolved over time, I think we're still missing that component of, yeah, yeah, you work really hard, but then you have this period of rest. And that's when kind of like the sediment can kind of settle down and you can get more clarity as like, okay, when I come up again to do more work, what is important to me? Like that, yes. that rest gives you clarity. Yes. You constantly spinning your wheels. I find for my own self, if I don't rest, I get extremely anxious. I'm very much yeah. like a woodland creature. That's just like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> I gotta do this. Now I gotta do this. Now I gotta do that. Yeah. 
Uh, and then it's so rest has become so foreign to us that when we have to take time off, we feel like we're being lazy. And the Europeans are not like that. The Europeans are like, oh yes, I deserve this rest. <laughs> like I lifted a no. finger today for three hours. I deserve this. Sport. I don't li- Yes. I don't live to work. <laughs> yeah. So. We, we fit it in somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Amber, thank you so much. This has been amazing. And I just want to circle back to you for a minute because you are like a true Renaissance woman. I mean, I think we could have done a whole podcast on the epic poem. Like I love, I, people bring things up. I was interviewing someone the other day and I'm like, well, what's your day job? And he's like, oh, I'm a farrier. I'm like, what is that? He's like, I, I put horseshoes <laughs> on, I put shoes on horses. I'm like, oh, well now I have a thousand questions about that, but we'll stay focused on your health journey. So I just want to say that you, you know, your journey and your whatever it is that allows you to intuitively move through different areas from politics and business to comedy to health and healing, right? Like a lot of people are held back from that. And I just did another podcast too, talking about how to like overcome that and move, move through our life with our intuition. And I just want to acknowledge that you've done that and you've done it through tragedy as well. And thank you so much for being such a bright light and such a spark and following, following your, your vision. And thank yeah, you. I mean, um, it was great to be here. I mean, I think part of the reason why the bees resonate with me is because I, I find that I'm very bee like in my own way. Like yeah. I'm constantly pollinating different flowers at different times. And yeah. I'm like, oh, this is the time to do this thing. Uh, but yeah, if anyone wants any more information, they can just go to amberhargroder.com. I have a brand new website with these gorgeous photos that a friend of mine took at Lake Martin, which is, um, it's very swampy out there, but it's mm-hmm. a beautiful Louisiana landscape. And, uh, gorgeous. I, yeah, I have an email series that explains a lot of quantum biology principles in a mm-hmm. way that I tried to make it as digestible as possible for people. And then I also have a couple of curveballs in there and then one about herbalism. So <laughs> As you get deeper, you're like, what? (laughs) Easter egg. I love it. No, that's good. Yeah. Just take us in slowly and then, then drop the big bombs. Okay. So it's amberhargroder.com. Could you spell that? A-M-B-E-R. Yeah. And then Hargroder. It's like, why couldn't my last name be like Lee or something? (laughs) H-A-R as in Robert, G as in goat. R-O-D as in dog, E-R.com. And you can also get there by lunasophiapublishing.com. So. Luna Sophia, is that Sophia with an F or a P-H? P-H. P-H, okay. So lunasophia.com, amberhargrutter.com. Now you can explore some poems. There's that wacky novel we talked about earlier. <laughs> you can Love tell how it. it works. Um, <laughs> and then of course, uh, you know, lots of health and healing advice, so. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing all of this today. This has been truly delightful. (laughs) This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who works from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely check out our Applied Quantum Biology Certification to consider as part of your continuing education plan. You can also just jump into our email community. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's at quantumbiologycollective.org.